welcome to the Hunt Back Country podcast. This is episode number 419, and today our guest is Zach. He is one of you guys, a listener of the show, and we are joined today for a before and after the hunt story. Zach is going on a western hunt. He's an adult onset hunter from the east, and he's going with some family, and they're also going guided, which is unique. We've told a lot of before and after stories but very few. I can actually think of maybe one that's actually been a guided hunt. So this is a great story to hear about why they chose to go guided, how Zach has been preparing, some advice on what he can get out of a guided hunt, and we dive into some nitty-gritty on gear, logistics, his 7mm PRC, which is a hot rifle and hot cartridge that you guys may want to hear about, and a whole lot more. So again, thank you guys as always for tuning in. I love sharing these episodes. It's going to be so fun to talk to Zach again later this fall after this hunt. It is in Montana for a rifle combo. So deer and elk are on the table. And again, it's not just Zach, it's with some of his family as you hear about. So there's a lot of opportunity for success and learning for Zach. And we get to join him in the experience and learn right alongside him as well. So thanks for tuning in. As always, if you guys have any questions for us, you can send an email to podcast at exomountgear.com. But right now, let's go ahead and dive into this conversation with Zach. Well, Zach, man, glad to have you on the podcast today. Super uh, excited to share before the hunt today and then hear about this adventure that's going to happen and chat with you later this fall after it does. But before we get into that, you just want to start with like a basic introduction background so listeners have some context of who you are? Yeah, sure. And thanks for having me, Mark. Uh, My name is Zach. Um, I live in southern New Jersey, grew up uh, right outside of Philadelphia, do, you know, primarily hunting out in western PA where I have some family and everything like that. and I'm relatively new to hunting. Um, I started roughly five years ago. And, you know, this year I had the opportunity to go hunt out West for the first time, which I'm really excited about. Yeah. So it's all you're hunting the last five years has all been whitetail stuff out there on the East Coast? Yeah, primarily. So um, I'm fortunate that my uncle, who's, you know, been hunting for, oh, geez, probably 50 years now, has some property out in Western Pennsylvania. So I got into bow hunting originally, and um, I was very fortunate the past five years, I went three for five on on some bucks. So really good start to my hunting career. Um, but I really started to pick up the rifle last year with it. Uh, but it's been primarily whitetail hunting. You know, I've been getting into watching videos of, you know, hunting out West and that's just kind of drew me in of like, man, I got to get out there and chase an elk. There's, there's nothing like it, it seems like. So um yeah, but it's been primarily whitetail hunting. Yeah. What at 25, what kind of like spurred you to get into it? Because it sounds like you've had some at least maybe potential if you wanted to do it earlier, maybe with family that you could have. No, you're you're 110% right. Um, you know, it was one of those things where like I wanted to try something new and I had access to it. Right. And I, I just, you know, I, I grew up in the suburbs of Philly, as I mentioned, and there's not a ton of hunting, hunting opportunity around here. So uh, it, it was just hard to get out West uh, w- w- 
excuse me, when I say West, I mean Western PA. And, um, <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know, do things like, just get out the hunt and everything. And I don't know, my, my dad really wasn't into it. My uncle was, um, which was my dad's older brother. But I, I don't know, I just never really took, uh, took a shine to it. And then my buddy was like, hey, we should get into archery uh, around 25. So shout out to my buddy, Steve. And I was like, okay, cool, let's go. And let's go to the local pro, pro archery shop. Let's get fitted out you know, all that good stuff. And, um, I fell in love with it instantly. Um, you know, I've always been kind of the guy that, you know, I, I mentioned to you before we jumped on the podcast, but I, you know, I played football in college and, um, you know, I, I competitively power lifted and, and, you know, always sought something that challenged my, um, you know, my, my neat drive to, to accomplish something right. Or challenge myself with something and try to better myself. So, this kind of fit that void perfectly. And like, I had, I was very fortunate that I had success in my first year of, of hunting. Like I got my buck the first year, first year, literally first shot I ever took at an animal. And I, I was beyond ecstatic and fortunate. And I was just hooked ever since then. Um, and I can tell you, I'm never going back. That's awesome, man. So you hunted archery for a few years. And then I think you said last year, I know what somewhat recently went to rifle. Was there something that spurred that on or just created a, Hey, I can hunt rifle season. It's just a new opportunity. Um, it's a combination of both. So I was planning this trip, um, that I'm sure we'll get into, uh, out West about, we started about two years ago. So I knew that I had an upcoming rifle hunt in 2023 out West. And I was like, well, I should probably start shooting a rifle, <laughs> right? Um, that would probably make a lot of sense. Get some trigger time, get to the range, hopefully, you know, have an opportunity to, to harvest an animal in rifle season, at least in Pennsylvania, um, and go from there. And uh, I finally kind of had my first rifle uh all set up it was just a browning x-bolt uh 300 wind mag i threw a zeiss v4 on there which is in my opinion a really nice piece of glass and um last year uh, i was able to take a doe at 292 yards so that was a really nice start um and yeah i don't know i just kind of got into i just wanted to get into rifle hunting and uh, expand my horizons yeah nice so the trip this year, uh, sounds like you've known about for a couple of years, kind of put the plan together. It's you and your dad and some of the, some of your uncles, but give us Correct. the big picture on what it is. And then maybe rewinding to two years ago or whenever that was exactly like how this idea kind of came together and you got serious about it. Yeah, no, I, I guess I'll start with how the idea came together two years ago. So, um, this was when I really like two years ago is when I really kind of got, got hooked on hunt. Um, I, I harvested my second buck and I, I shot this, um, really, really, I, I was very fortunate, just a very nice white-tailed deer. And, uh, I was just like, man, I, I just, I need to get out West. I, I need to do something. And at that time I was 27, 28 years old, turned 30, uh, earlier this year. And I just said to my dad, I was like, what are your thoughts on, uh, you know, kind of like gifting each other, like hunt out West when you turn 60 and I turn 30. Uh, it's kind of like a once in a lifetime trip where kind of we get all together. Um, you know, your, your two brothers can come out with us. My, my dad's older brother has been hunting out West for 50 plus years. Now my dad's younger brother uh, does not hunt, but he wants to come out on the trip. And then my cousin, uh, was fortunate enough to join in with us. We're lucky to have him tag along. We're excited for that as well. 
And, um, you know, he was, he was kind of thinking about it and he goes, you know what? Yeah, let's do it. Um, my dad went out West prior. He hunted antelope with my uncle. Um, I think it was maybe four or five years ago. Um, and they were able to harvest an antelope then. And, you know, I, I think it was just as simple as having that conversation and being like, why don't we do a once in a lifetime trip, um, and, and really get out there and let's make the most of it by driving out. So my uncles live out in Pens- uh, excuse me, out in Pittsburgh. So we're going to drive out there and then we're just going to start a road trip out. Um, it's going to take about a week to drive out and we're going to go see a bunch of national parks. We'll go up through South or I guess out through South Dakota. We'll see the Badlands, Mount Rushmore. We're going to swing down to the Tetons up through Yellowstone. And then we're going to finish in Bozeman, which is where we are actually hunting uh, right in the Bridger Bowl area, right outside of Bozeman. Um, so that's, that's really the trip. And we're just, I'm excited. Honestly, I, I don't know what I'm more excited for the hunting or the road trip, because I've been out West before my wife and I have gone on numerous, um, you know, uh, hiking, uh, vacations. We went out West for our honeymoon. Um, so, you know, I, I just love it out there and I just can't wait to get out and hopefully harvest an animal. Dude, what a special thing to be able to do that with your dad uncles you know your dad gets to do it with his brothers looping in your cousin man that that just makes it awesome that that family coming together these guys taking this much time just to be together and make these memories it's it's going to be pretty dang priceless that's the goal um and you know that's 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 what i kind of told him i was like you know hey it's just one of those things where I don't know if we're ever going to do this again. And like, this is the opportunity and the time to do it. And, you know, we are fortunate enough to have the time and resources to, to make this happen. And, um, I just, I'm over the moon about it. I, I've been like, I have, I've had that date circled on my calendar for two years now. And like everything that <laughs> I do both, you know, personally and professionally has been working towards that just because of how excited I am about it. Man. So cool. I, uh, it truly feels like an honor to like be able to kind of share some of the story and just hear about it, like and not even share it, but me personally, just like hear about this adventure, uh, even after the fact, I'm so looking forward to it. So it's cool. I appreciate that. Thanks. So one thing that I, I mean, definitely for you plays into the story, not necessarily so much for necessarily the listener, or the hunt, but I'm just kind of curious to, to hear where your head is at is, uh, you said you've had this date circled on the calendar for a couple of years now. Uh, what you didn't know a couple of years ago is that you'll essentially have about a two or three month old baby. You're first <laughs> at the time. Did that change anything or did your wife have any like, hey, you have this hunt, but like we're going to have a newborn type thing. <laughs> yeah, uh, that was definitely it's been a conversation. Um <laughs> You know, one, I do have to say, Mark, and my wife would kill me if I didn't say this, but uh, I, she is absolutely amazing. Um, she has been super supportive of literally everything about this trip. We've obviously had it on the calendar for two years and everything like that. Um, you know, we found out that, that she was pregnant in early December of uh, 2022, um, which puts her due date August. And then we're hunting late October for opening day rifle out in Montana. So, you know, as you mentioned, I'll have roughly a two month old at that point. Uh, originally, the trip was, you know, three, three and a half weeks, uh, drive out, hunt five days, drive back, right? And, uh, you know, 
we were able to, you know, sit down and have a conversation and kind of compromise where I'll now kind of just drive out, do the hunt and, you know, hopefully, obviously I want to spend as much time out with as possible, but, you know, if, if I'm able to harvest an animal early, then fly back and, and get back to her and get back to him, um, you know, and go from there. And, you know, shout out to her for, for being so awesome about it because, you know, I do not want to leave them. Like I literally told her, I was like, look, I'll fly out the day before the hunt. I'll, I'll fly into Bozeman, you know, and then I'll, I'll do the hunt and then I'll get right back. I, you know, it's okay. And she, she did look at me and just said, you know, Hey, this is literally a once in a lifetime trip. You get to spend this time with, you know, the men of your family, the men that raised you. And like, um, I just, I felt so blessed and fortunate that, that she said that and, uh, she's on board and thankfully between her mom, my mom, you know, my sister, her sisters, like we have a great support network. Um, but I guess to answer your question, you know, it's really hard. Um, like I, I really obviously want to be there, you know, he's, he's two months old. So thankfully he's still, uh, you know, he, at that point he'll, he'll still be, uh, you know, a newborn, right? Like he's still an infant and, and he doesn't really know much except, you know, eating and, and sleeping. Right. Um, so that's kind of like a good thing, but like, man, I am just, like, I, I love him so much already and we haven't even met him yet. <laughs> and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's just going to be really hard to leave him for that time. But if there is one thing to, you know, be fortunate enough to go on a two week trip and do and get away from him and her for a little bit, it's, it's this, right. Um, so it's just, uh, you know, I have very mixed emotions, right? I'm going to miss them dearly, but man, my wife's a rock star. So I'm very fortunate. Yeah, I can, I can relate a bit to that because I, I started, not started hunting, but started taking like extended trips and out-of-state trips uh, when we had our first and when she was a baby. So I was very similar. And for me back then, and even still to this day, um, like I realized how good it is for me to be able to do things like that. And it helps right. me be like a better man and a father when I am at home. Uh, right. Just because I get so much personal value and, you know, even insight and things like that just on life on on these types of trips. So uh, I'm sure it will be the same for you and that the time you get to spend, as you said, this, I mean, the once in a lifetime thing uh, to me, hunters throw that around a lot. And to me, a lot of times mm -hmm. there's an asterisk on that because it's a phrase <laughs> of speech. Uh, but I, for this, man, like for you to not, if it was just your hunting trip, then I'd say, yeah, probably not once in a lifetime. You're going to do this again. Right. But the fact that you get to do it with your dad and uncles and, you know, all the whole thing coming together, it truly is probably a once in a lifetime thing. So be sure to, you know, cherish that for what it is. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I will. And and it's, um, you know, one other thing, you know, I just wanted to add real quick, I was listening to the, your guys most recent final Friday. Um, I forget the gentleman's name that I, I believe it was Jake was interviewing, but Probably you know, he, yes, it was Jeff. You're correct. Okay. Yes. Um, and he was basically mentioning like, Jake kind of asked a question that was adjacent to kind of the one that you asked. And, um, you know, I, I thought what Jeff was saying about, you know, just like, yes, he's going to dearly miss his family and he wants, wants to get back to them, but like he's all in, you know, those nine months out of the year. And then when he is out in the woods, his sole focus is on that because if he focuses on that, he can get the job done. He can then get back home for them faster. Right. And I, that just really resonated with me that like, 
just have the ability to, to kind of have that mind shift and focus right on the task at hand while also compartmentalizing, you know, missing your family and everything. So uh, just something I want to throw in. Yeah, cool. So what we didn't mention yet uh, is you guys are doing this trip guided. And I just love yes. to hear about kind of that decision. Was it even on the table to try to do a DIY trip or kind of how that came together? Yeah, no, it, frankly, the DIY stuff was not on the table at all. Um, you know, my, I, I mentioned earlier, my uncle has been hunting out West for 50 plus years. And um, throughout that time, he made, he developed a really uh, great friendship and relationship with Montana Outfitting Company. Um, I believe Chris Faber owns that. And that's who we're going through. Um because my uncle has, he's taken his clients and, you know, various people out there. Um, we were just very fortunate that, you know, there was an opening and availability in 2023 to go with them. And, um, and then, you know, honestly, at the same time, just from like, uh, I guess, I don't, I guess I'll call it physical limitations. Um, you know, let's just say my, my dad and my uncles don't exercise like I do. Um, so like, I think a guided hunt was just kind of made a little bit more sense of just being able to get in the position, you know, to, to, you know, harvest an animal. So we kind of had this natural in with the guide. And then at the same time, I just think a guided hunt, which is better suited for our group. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. What questions have you, I guess, either been asking of your uncle, who it sounds like has done this before or of the guide outfitter, like, I'm just curious on the basics of, is this a horseback hunt? Are you guys going to be broken up into groups? Is Are you going to be at some sort of cabin or more of like a wall tent base camp? Like kind of give sure. us a rundown at least of of what you're expecting or what you do know about kind of that aspect of this. Yeah, yeah. So there's going to be four hunters out of the five of us go. Um, so I believe we're going to be split into two groups of two. Um, and we'll each have a guide. So it'll be, you know, one guy for two dudes. And um you know, each day is just going to be, you know, a fresh hunt where we actually have kind of like, uh, you know, it's a, just a, just a cabin, I guess you could call it like a, just a house, I guess. Um, that's kind of right, you know, 20, 30 minutes outside of Bozeman. That'll be like home base for us. But, um, from my understanding of, you know, the conversations that I've had, we'll just simply be getting in a truck, going up some logging roads, getting to elevation and just glassing. Right. And, and seeing where these elk are, where the mule deer are, and then hopefully maneuvering into position. So then we are able to, you know, take an ethical shot and go from there. Um, and then, you know, questions I've been asking my uncle, it's just like, as silly as it sounds like what to expect out there and like his answer. And I'm sure everybody is, everybody's answer is like, well, it really depends, right? Like it depends on so many different factors, right? Like it depends on where we see the elk. Like, are they going to be close to the road? Or are we going to have to go five miles deep? Who knows, right? Um, you know, is it snowing? Is it raining? Is it this? Is it that, right? Is it going to be uncharacteristically hot, right? Is it going to be absolutely freezing? Like so many different factors that go into it. So, you know, I think um, my mentality going into it, right, has been more of like control what I can control, right? And that's like, my ability with the rifle, that's my physical fitness. That's like planning the trip out ahead of time. Like I can't control what the weather does, obviously. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of the mentality going into this. You mentioned deer and elk. 
all so there's five guys but as you mentioned one of them's along for the ride so there's there's four hunters do all of you guys have combo tags we do yes okay awesome yeah so i don't know how the hell we're going to get the meat back on if we do all <laughs> our alarms like that's, the car. Yeah. that's what we're trying to figure out logistically like i think we're going to take you know i i i like just a big truck out with like a trailer towed behind us but like I'm just thinking logistically, you know, you get a couple hundred pounds of meat just from elk alone. And if there's four elk, like how, how? <laughs> so mm-hmm. we're going to cross that bridge when we get there. Um, I, you know, I keep going back to my uncle just cause he's kind of been like the, the go-to guy for a lot of this. Um, you know, he did this trip literally two years ago with some of his friends. So they were successful with, with, you know, harvesting an elk. They were successful with driving it back across the country, back to the Pittsburgh area where they all live um, and stuff like that. So we know what we're doing. It's just a matter of like, Hey, how are we going to be successful? How are we going to get home? Do I fly home with my meat? You guys drive it back. Right. We'll figure that out as we get closer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, between having your uncle who's, you know, done this and then just being able to rely on the outfitter who has worked obviously with mm-hmm. hundreds or thousands of clients. Um, you're going to have great resources, you know, at hand, but it will be fun to talk about that in the after podcast and just kind of <laughs> yeah. what you learned and what worked well and what didn't and all that. So that will be cool for sure. Yeah, no doubt. For you personally, do you have, uh, like a strong affinity towards wanting an elk over a deer, mule deer, or vice versa, or just to, you know, do you not, I don't want to say not care, but do you not have a strong preference of one over the other? Um, No, I definitely think I have a stronger preference of harvesting an elk over a muley, Um, you know, but obviously either or would be incredible. Like even if I just, just fill one, I guess we'll call it part of that tag, right? Like, I would be more than happy with, with either or, um, I absolutely love Euro mounts. Right. So like I, I just, my goal is to harvest an animal and get a Euro mount. I'm not going to be picky. It's my first animal. Like as long as it's legal and like, it's an ethical shot. Like, um, that's my mentality going into this. Right. And like, uh, I would love an elk a little bit more, I think than a muley, but at the same time, I can't be picky. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I mean, it's uh, it, it jogs to mind. I just moved, and so we were. I don't, I don't have a bunch of taxidermy, but I just mainly have euro mounts. And uh, you know, I was moving some euro mounts and came to my first, my first bull, which was my. It was the archery bull, and uh, it's the smallest bull I've shot, but still, it's like, man, it's special to me. Like, it, in a way, it's <laughs> it's not nearly as impressive to anyone else. It doesn't look as cool, you know, in the house, but putting my hands on it again i was like if i i think if i just had to give everything else up even like bigger elk like i would just want to keep that first you know it's funny i feel the same exact way so my first buck that i shot with my bow i got a shoulder mount right and um you know you look at it and you're like oh well that's that's definitely a buck but it's nothing like it's not that big right it's it's the legal three up because that's how you have to in the uh, hunting unit i hunt out in pennsylvania uh, they have to be three up on one side. Right. And, and, you know, it's a little like tiny six point and, but like the amount of pride that I feel when I look at that, I'm like, man, that just feels so good when I've shot bigger deer and nicer looking deer. But there's just something about that first one where you're just like, I can never let go of this. You know, I just still got to convince the wife to hang it somewhere. 
<laughs> yeah, those are sitting up our new house. We're having those discussions in our household as well. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck to you. <laughs> oh man, um, yeah. What I guess what else? Whether it's questions about the hunt or just your your preparation for it. I mean, you've you've had a lot of time, obviously, to think about it. We talked two years, but um, what are some of the things you've done? Whether that's you know research and reading to learn about the species or the area. I mean, you can go into training gear, like take that where you want. But like, what is this this build up towards this hunt practically? What are some of the things you've been doing? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, well, one, just from like a physical fitness standpoint, I've just been working out, you know, real hard and just getting prepared. I, I purchased a, a K3 um, in preparation back in, I think it was December of last year for this hunt. One, because I want to get the full experience and, and do a pack out and everything. But then two, you know, frankly, I just really enjoy those type of exercises and movements, right? With the heavy pack on either rucking or doing something like that. So um, I've been following the uh, Mountain Tough. You know, I know people in the industry are, you know, it's kind of blown up recently, but, um, you know, they just have incredible workouts. Um, so I've been doing that. Um, you know, from a gear standpoint, and I actually, I meant to, to ask you this, so I guess I'll ask it now. Um, I'm in the market for some rain gear right now. Um, I bought some, you know, just Cabela's brands back when I first started about five years ago. And, um, I wore, you know, the full suit, you know, uh, Cabela's jacket and rain pants and everything like that. And, uh, it was just a real rainy day during rifle season last year. And it's just one of those things where I was still dry, but like, that condensation was kind of like soaking through on my shoulders and stuff. If you know what I'm talking about after mm -hmm. like a day of you know wearing it, um, I was reading one of your guys articles uh, on like, you know, not like breaking the bank on, on certain items. And like one of those items was a, a rain jacket that you guys recommended. Um, so I just kind of want to get your perspective. Like, does it make more sense to just go with just getting a new rain jacket? You think I should go with the full set from, you know, a, a brand out there? Like, for example, as we're recording this, like who is doing a 30 to 40% off sale? Um, and, you know, I, I really enjoy their stuff. It fits me very well. So I, I don't know. I'm just curious to get your perspective on kind of rain gear and um, how you would approach that. Yeah, for sure. It's... um going back to what you said earlier it depends yeah. <laughs> um i think part of the reason we've tended to, to to recommend maybe it's this isn't like maybe rain gear is not the best place to spend a lot of money at first is um it, it kind of goes back to like people packing their fears right like people are afraid to get wet and so they they prioritize rain gear at times maybe more than they should that's all contextual based on when and where you're hunting. It would be far different for someone, you know, who lives in Western Washington uh, than Idaho, right? Or even honestly, mm -hmm. Central Idaho versus Northern Idaho. Um, sure. So there's all obviously asterisks and context and all that. And then even when it comes to quality rain gear, um, you know, just like use two examples that. I have and and use would be like the Sitka Dew Point is a great lightweight packable set that if I'm backpacking is generally something I want to grab. Whereas if I'm in thicker country, rougher country, uh, maybe more extreme moisture, like what I took on my mountain goat hunt, for example, would be something a bit burlier. Um, 
you know, just because of the brush and the exposure and things like that. So uh, for that, I have the First Light Omen, for example. They're both high quality sets. They're also very different. So um, yeah, all that said to say, a lot can go into it. Um, for your hunt, like in Montana, you guys, you know, kind of hunting from the truck or, you know, you're not going to be out. So one, backpacking is not a concern. Um the packability isn't as much of a concern because you're only out for the day. Mm-hmm. And then also because you're only out for the day, you don't really have this chance of, hey, I got soaked today and I got to keep hunting tomorrow, but there's nothing I can do about it. Because on this hunt, you will have something you can do about sure. it. You can get soaked today, get back to this cabin, lodge, what have you, and either be able to air dry have a fire or honestly very likely they're gonna have a dryer there right exactly you can dry yourself out you can dry your gear out and so because of all that it's far less critical than on say a 10-day sheep hunt where you're like you're soaked on day three there's no going anywhere there's no drying out there's no reprieve from that like you're, you're crawling in wet to a sleeping bag so again those are very different contexts so all that said to say i wouldn't you know, maybe even though your Cabell's rain gear wasn't perfect and you did wet out a bit in it, like maybe it's still fully sufficient for this trip just because, hey, I'm going to be able to get back and dry out even if I get a little bit wet, right? Yeah, no, that that's a really great point. And that's, that's um, you know, I, I was beyond just like hunting rain gear. I was frankly in the market anyways for like just an everyday rain jacket because mine's yeah. 10 plus years old so like that's where kind of my my mind was at is like and i think this is my general mentality with just gear in general just because again i do live on the east coast i do hunt southern new jersey public land i do hunt out west uh in pennsylvania right where like my gear i'm just trying to be like super versatile like to your point like i'm I'm probably not going to go on a sheep hunt anytime soon, right? Just being realistic. Mm-hmm. So for me, I'm always thinking like, where can I get the most versatility without spending tons of money, right? And like still get really, really good function out of this thing. Um, and that's that's kind of my approach with every single piece that I've kind of accumulated over the last two years is like, where can I get the most versatility uh, on top of function? um between everything that i have so um i appreciate you saying that and that's where i was going to go to of even though i recommended like maybe stick with your cabela's rain gear for this trip all that Mm -hmm. said to say if you have the budget like if you have a few hundred bucks and you're like thinking towards the future of not only hunting at home but other potential hunts uh you mentioned q you like to bring up their stuff um, I don't have personal experience with it, but know a lot of guys who trust, who I trust, um, and who use like the QU Yukon set. Um, mm-hmm. So I have a high, you know, a favorable uh, opinion of that. Again, not based on my own experience, but just from guys I know and trust. So, like, if they have a great sale and like you have the funds for the QU Yukon, then consider it. And then going back to your point, especially with rain gear. Uh, but I tend to do this with a lot of layers is like, I would recommend getting that in a solid color so that you can use it yeah. outside of hunting or more of an everyday rain jacket when it's required. Um, so something like the QU Yukon would be a fantastic choice. Get it in a solid, use it for this trip, use it for a wet, blistery, you know, windy day there running around town and then you have it for future hunts, you know? So it's sure. always, uh, 
you know, if, if you have the budget for it, something like that would be great. Okay, cool. I appreciate that. While we're on gear then, what what have you acquired specifically for this trip? I I mentioned I really enjoy, you know, kind of like Kuyu gear. Um, I just, I find that it fits me really well. So over time, I kind of have just, you know, every month I maybe bought a new piece of gear, tried to wait till they're on sale. So, you know, I've picked up things like their, uh, their guide DCS jacket, their guide pan, their attack pan, and um, some of their like Peloton uh, under, you know, Merino wool layers. Um, Cause again, I do primarily my hunting's, you know, sitting in a tree stand or at least here in Southern New Jersey, because I don't really have a saddle or anything or, you know, a climbing stand. Um, frankly, it's just from the ground and scouting the area, trying to kick some gear up and, you know, kind of just like hunt from the ground and like a pseudo ground blind that I kind of find natural position, right? So I've tried to create or buy things that are versatile, as I mentioned. And like, I found that like the attack pant is like the perfect all around pant for me. But then their guide pant does a really nice job keeping me warm when I'm sitting in a freezing tree stand. Um, let's see what else have I got? Um, I had an old pair of Danner pronghorns that I've been running. Um, they're pretty nice. I mean, they've lasted me for, you know, five plus years now. Um, you know, getting in the woods, hiking, and just doing things like that. Um, I have a couple just like, you know, I know you going back to the article I referenced of like using uh, cost effective ways of kind of like saving, you know, s- instead of spending tons and tons of money on like crazy base layers, like I have like Under Armour um, insulated like zip up uh, like leggings and like a uh, quarter zip that like I wear just like against my skin. And like, frankly, that thing keeps me so warm. Like I don't even have to worry about it. Um, you know, I mentioned some Cabela's rain jacket and pants that I have and um you know, that's, that's kind of about it. You know, I kind of just like sourced like some more expensive pieces from Kuyu. And then I try to pair that with some, uh, you know, things that, you know, are you can just walk into any like Dick Sporting Goods and, and throw it on. Right. Um, I actually recently have bought, uh, some stone glacier gear. Um, I think they're, uh, they're D Haviland pants. And then I have like their, it's like their mid-layer fleece zip-up hoodie with the hood. And um, I have to say, I am blown away by the Stone Glacier stuff. Like, I wear that just to, like, to do yard work and, you know, just kind of go around town, go to the range, and because um, they all come in solid colors, right? And the performance on those, I, I'm blown away by them. Um, I know they're pricey too, but I was fortunate enough to have, like, a gift card and all that fun stuff. But, like... Uh, Highly recommend the Stone Glacier stuff. Um, so I think my primary day to day when I'm out there, I'm probably going to be end up wearing those Stone Glacier pants um, with probably my Kuyu stuff on top, and then kind of go from there. So um, yeah, I would say that's about it. How about for? I mean, you kind of mentioned like even the strategy of this hunt is like, hey, let's get some elevation, spend some time, and uh, look for animals. What do you have for optics? Yeah, so I, I don't have um, a spotting scope. Or anything because frankly i have zero need for it where i live mm-hmm. <laughs> right like i, I legitimately I, I know i said in my email but like yeah right like i live at legitimately 90 feet of elevation like i can be after jersey shore in an hour from where i live like so what what would i need a spotting scope for right so that's kind of like having to guide right is kind of mm-hmm. good um my i'll be honest with you my binos they're perfect for the white tail woods they're just some vortex diamondbacks 10 by 50s so they're nothing fancy right they're a couple hundred bucks like they get the job done for me now um out west i mean 
I'm going to bring them with me, but my uncle has a pair of the um, Swaro uh, ranging range finding uh, binos, which mm-hmm. are obviously, you know, I know you guys have mentioned them, some of the best on the market. So we'll have access to, to high quality glass follower out there. But for me personally, I just, I plan on bringing just the stuff that I kind of use for whitetail hunting and then kind of, you know, working together with the guide and, you know, my uncle and, and whomever else to kind of, you know, hopefully cover up having, you know, say some, nothing bad about Vortex, obviously, but you get what I'm saying. It's like, there's a little difference between that and Swaro range finding binos. So, yeah. um, yeah. Well, I think it's, I think it's great. Like you said, the, you know, it's, not everything rests on you and your binoculars on this hunt. Correct. You have other hunters with you. You have the guide and all that. What I would say on that is, um, like when it comes to higher higher end gear, not just optics, but optics are a great example for this point of take. What I'm trying to get is take advantage of comparing your binoculars to your uncle's and even your guides so i would say is like don't be afraid to ask your guide like hey do you mind if i glass with your spotting scope or your binoculars or your what have you um and then same for any other hunter or someone in camp like just take advantage of the opportunity to get behind Mm -hmm. that stuff and to really see like what are the differences or you know you may like let's say for a theoretical example, your uncle has those those Swaro range finding binos, and the guide has some Zeiss, right? Like mm-hmm. you may, for you, find out you really really like one over the other, and then sure. whether that's in a year or three years, when it comes to like, oh, I'm in a position to upgrade my binos, like you have some experience to fall back on, like in the field, not just running to Cabela's or something and looking at high end optics, or not just reading someone else's reviews, but just you know take advantage of that opportunity to hey i'm gonna run what i have but let me try and get some experience looking through other stuff yeah no that's um i really appreciate you uh giving that advice as well because i totally agree with you so like uh going back real quick to the rifle season last year um so i I unfortunately missed a buck last year with my rifle and i learned more from that experience than I did in the five years of hunting, right? Um, thankfully, you know, he wasn't wounded. My uncle was able to actually shoot him right after I missed the shot. Uh, but long story short, the reason why I bring this up is like, it was legitimately first light. Like, I think like at the time, first light was maybe like, I don't know, seven twenty-two in the morning or something, right? For the, the Pennsylvania Fish and uh, Wildlife uh, regulations. So we were driving up on a four by four at the top of kind of like the west uh in pennsylvania and we were looking at like a a slope right of a hill where old power lines used to be and there was nice vegetation and i knew instantly that like an animal was going to most likely be there so we get out of the 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 truck and we're or the four by four and we're looking and i have my vortex binos right the diamondbacks and he has a swaro binos and like my uncle goes zach there's there's a buck right there and i was like where like <laughs> i legitimately i would just i couldn't see him in the low light and and like he was like here and he hands me the swaros and i literally picked them up instantly and like again i'm not like knocking vortex but just like at the end of the day like those are just simply better binos right and um you know i that real life experience like that was super eye-opening to me that like the, the vortex diamondbacks are more than sufficient for my needs and how i hunt currently 
but like out like down the road getting that hands-on experience of looking through those scoros and um, being able to see just the clarity and everything like that. If I want to get out West again, um, obviously maybe not this type of trip that we're doing, but like just down the, down the road in the future, going out with some buddies or something like that, like definitely need to upgrade. Right. Um, so, you know, I appreciate you saying. That's a perfect example of just being able to get side by side and see the difference. Cause yeah, it's one of those things, not again, not just with optics, almost with anything, like it's easy to get in the the internet hole of thinking, <laughs> oh, I need this, I need that. And uh, yeah, sometimes it's like, yeah, use what you have. Like eventually when you have the budget or need to upgrade, uh, hopefully you've had some experience to truly know at that point what you actually do and don't need. Um, yeah, 100%. Nice, man. Well, it sounds like, I mean, you, you know, I asked about what have you... Uh, kind of invested in from a gear perspective uh you focused on clothing a lot which i think is a a great a great thing because on this hunt you know you you're not backpacking it is guided so some of the stuff in terms of uh other hunting gear you know obviously tent shelters all that stuff's like out of the window so it's cool that yeah like you have a solid system to just hey mm-hmm. i'm gonna get out there be comfortable be warm be able to sit out in glass if the conditions are rough so I think it's a great thing that you've kind of focused on clothing. Um, it's going to help you a lot, as you know, from your whitetail experience, be able to just sit out there and last. And that's going to be the same type of thing for this hunt. And on that point, like, don't discount how, um, I think, how valuable your experience whitetail hunting is for this hunt, purely from the perspective of, you know what it's like to sit, wait, and be patient. <laughs> And right. a lot of guys don't, um, but because of your whitetail hunting experience, you've you've certainly been there and done that. And for this type of hunt where you're sitting and glassing and just sometimes need to stay patient, that, I mean, you already have some experience that's going to be helpful in that regard. Yeah, no, I appreciate you saying that. I, um, I, I was kind of thinking along the same lines and especially your comment about gear, like even last year, like, you know, I probably logged a good of 80 to 100 hours in the woods last year and like i'm talking full day sits and you know i was fortunate enough that like at no point was i getting cold right like i was comfortable the entire time and you know investing in good gear does make a difference so um you know just one of those things of doing it slow and steady in my opinion right not everybody has like tons and tons of money to blow on you know these highly technical expensive you know gear that that people use but over time it's just like acquiring a little bit at a time trying to do what makes the most sense. And that's kind of the, that mentality I took. Do you have, this is random, but comes to mind for this particular Montana hunt. Do you have a good system for, for gloves, for keeping your hands warm? And part of what my head goes to is, uh, I relate it to my experience. When I whitetail hunt, I, I wear like a, like a hand muff, right? Like the big pouch mm-hmm. up in front and often yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll wear pretty lightweight gloves, especially cause you know, like, especially when I'm bow hunting or even rifle hunting for that matter, I want the trigger dexterity, but okay. I'll use really lightweight gloves and then keep my hands in a hand warmer hand muff. And that sure. works fantastic. But if you go to Montana, now you're glassing, your hands are going to be out a lot more, right? They're going to be on binos, on the spotter. You're not going to be sitting there with them in this hand pouch. So it is one thing that comes to mind of if you haven't yet explored a system for, hey, let me keep my hands warm or dry or comfortable uh, for this Montana hunt. Definitely have some some options there. Yeah, no, I, 
I appreciate you saying that. I, I actually, uh, when they were on sale, I grabbed a pair of the Kuyu, I believe they're called the Expedition gloves. Um, and they're like a insulated, heavy, uh, pretty honestly dexterous glove, given how kind of thick the insulation is on there. So I've been running that maybe the past two years while I've been bow hunting. And what I'll do is like, so obviously I, I shoot right-handed. So I'll wear the glove on my left and then kind of like you, I'll just simply drop my trigger finger or hand into like my pocket with like a, a hand warmer. And then I'll just sit there, you know, holding the bow. And like, even with that, you know, that cold bow, you know how cold that bow can get when it's freezing out and your hands holding it and everything like that. Like, um, I don't feel it through those gloves. So I think I should be okay. Um, but I wouldn't be opposed to getting, uh, you know, looking at another pair too, if you need it. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like you have good experience with those to go on. So I haven't used yeah. them, so I, I won't comment at all, but, uh, sure. they sound like they could be sufficient for you. Yeah. They're, they're pretty nice gloves. So this is a, this is a big leap in gear, but uh, you mentioned in one of your emails, you built a seven PRC, <laughs> uh, which I partially just want to hear about. Cause it's, I would imagine that there's a lot of listeners interested, uh, it's a, you know, it's a hot cartridge right now and all the, the sexy newness, but did you just convince yourself you need a new rifle after missing that buck last year or what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's what my buddy joked with me about too. Um, you know, I'll be honest with you. No, it wasn't that, um, it was just one of those things where, um, I frankly had the opportunity to do so, uh, more so than anything. And I, I was very fortunate that I had the funds and, um, also my uncle uncle's knowledge to fall back on so like he's really big into building custom rifles and stuff like that right and um my i i don't know i i i mentioned i had that 300 win mag the browning x bolt that's a nice rifle right um but you know at the end of the day like i i had it out when we were uh hunting in that rain i mentioned earlier with the cabela's rain gear and um I just like, there was just something about it. Like, I just didn't love the feel of it and everything like that. And, um, I don't know. My mentality was just like, you know, maybe, maybe I shot for something new. I don't know. But then at the same time, my uncle was like, Hey, you know, you should consider doing this because it's one of those things where it's like, I, I don't know. I'm a big proponent of like the old buy once cry once mentality, right? Like if you invest in good gear, it's going to last you a long time as long as you take care of it and you do it right and you're smart about it and all that kind of stuff. Um, so frankly, I just started doing research and I just kind of took the leap. Um, I built it off an Altera C2 action, which is, you know, kind of a newer, uh, newer action on the market. I know people normally run those REM 700s, right. And then we'll get them, you know, machined and manufactured to precision and then they'll build off that. But, um, yeah, I just made the decision to to kind of get an Altera C2 action. And from there, I kind of just built it out. I threw a 22-inch uh, and Arrow, uh, you know, barrel on there, um, running a Trigger Tech Special Remington 700 Trigger, a uh, boring rifle, Stupa B, TI, muzzle brake. Um, I got an HS Precision bottom metal. Um, and then I threw a Leupold VX5 3 by uh, 15 with the 44 millimeter uh, on to the actual rifle itself. Um, and then the Hawkins Precision Rings is what I'm running. And then uh, with the bipod, I went with a Rugged Ridge uh, Gen 2 bipod short. So, you know, 
I'll be honest with you, like I'm very fortunate to have this rifle. Oh, and then I should say I got it Cerakoted after that. So it's, you know, beyond being built out of good material. Um, you know, it's kind of impervious to weather and things like that now. Um, I mean, this thing with factory ammo was shooting sub, you know, half MOA groups. Um, it's, it's insane. Like I, I haven't shot a rifle, you know, I, I grew up shooting rifles, right. But like, I've never shot a rifle that like shoots like this and just like, I don't know if it's a mentality thing to be honest with you or what it is, but it just makes me feel more confident in my shooting. Um, I don't know if that, that sounds crazy or not, but like, I don't know. It's just something that in the back of my mind, I'm like, look, you spent a lot of time and money and putting, um, you know, this thing together. Uh, and I just want, I just, I feel like I have to elevate my game because I have this great tool that I'm using, but it, the tool is only as good as the person behind it. Right. So, mm -hmm. uh, I have to elevate my game and I have to force myself to be better. And <laughs> when I did miss that buck, that was more of user error on my part with, messing with the scope power too much and zooming in a little too much and then risking then rushing the shot and not taking, you know, a nice deep breath and having a shot sequence, which I've been working on. Right. So it's kind of a combo of those two things. Um, but you know, maybe the easy answer is, yeah, I just convinced myself that I missed a, I missed a deer and I need a new rifle. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like a cool setup. Did I miss in there what stock you're using? Oh yeah, sorry. I just realized I missed that. Um, so I got a Mesa Remington Altitude. Um, I oh, think cool. they're they're pure precision. I think they rebranded as now. Yeah. Um, and I got it in that glacier camo color just because I I enjoy the blue. So, um, it's, it's yeah, it's pretty nice rifle. I feel very fortunate to have it. Yeah, sounds like a great setup for sure. Yeah, well, and the seven PRs. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Mark. I was just going to comment on the seven PRC itself too. Um. You know, I, I think with that caliber, I know you mentioned that it's, you know, new and shiny and people are loving it. And um, I just felt that that was like the perfect combo between like a three inch wind mag and like a six five. Right. So like it was this perfect marriage where, you know, hand loading I'm getting with 145s, getting 3,400 feet per second out of it. And with uh 170s which is what i'm going to be shooting out there uh hammer um hhts the new tip ones right i think we're getting almost 3100 feet per second out of the rifle so it's like this perfect combination of like right in between with not a lot of recoil and like it just it's just a perfect rifle in my opinion for both whitetail elk and everything in between well, i'm kind of certainly in that camp with you some sort of seven millimeter magnum is a, a great do-it-all option for sure you had, I asked you if you kind of like had any uh, questions uh, for me on the podcast, just kind of going into it. And you had a bunch, we've touched on some. I will say though, one thing that stood out to me looking over your questions is how, and this was before we had spoken and before I had even more context for the discussion we just had, but I love that you're going into this and it's a guided hunt, but you're so uh, like hungry to learn because a lot of your questions had to do with like you want to be able to pack an animal out, even though it's a guided hunt. You want to know what it's like to break the animal down, process it and do all that, even though it's a guided hunt. So I just love that you're going into this, not going, hey, this is just a hunt I'm going on. I don't need to know these things. The guide's here to do this, that, and the other thing. 
and I'm just there to show up and you know pull a trigger. Uh, right. So I just wanted to say, man, it's it's cool um, to see how hungry you are to learn. And on that, like, I would just recommend you don't be afraid to ask all the questions. Like, there's, a, you know, there you can take that overboard and like constantly be asking like why are we doing this why are we getting on the truck here why are we doing you know what i mean but yeah yeah when it comes to um especially success right like when it comes to breaking down the animal or maybe there's a shot and something doesn't drop and you guys are doing some tracking like just being willing to engage with the guide um because a lot of guides are I hate saying that because I, I have very limited experience. I've done one guided hunt because I had to uh, with Alaska, you know, non-resident mm-hmm. requirements. So I, I don't yeah. want listeners to come off thinking I've done a bunch of guided hunts and have experience with it. So when I say a lot of guides, it's a unfair statement for me. I know guides. I've talked with guides. <laughs> um, and a lot of times they, you know, they're there and they're doing a job and and they're more than willing to do to do everything right it's almost what i will say for you and someone with your perspective who wants to learn is i will just say that it is on you to engage with the guide with that attitude Mm -hmm. of hey i'm here to learn if you don't mind like if we're tracking or if we're breaking down an animal or even while we're glassing, like, do you mind if I kind of ask you some questions? Because if you don't kind of open that door and communicate that that's your mindset, they're, the guide is probably going to assume that you're probably like what I would guess would be the majority of clients who don't necessarily want that. And therefore the guide is, the guide is not, generally there with a teacher's mindset if that's a fair way to put it right the guy's there as a hunter and with a job to do and that job is generally more focused on fulfilling the expectation of the hunter which means hunting success not necessarily on educating the hunter unless they know that that's what the hunter wants does that make sense it, no, it makes total sense. And um, I appreciate you saying that because I'm, I, I guess I didn't think about it that way. Like, obviously, I know that the, the guide's job is to, you know, put us onto animals and then, you know, do whatever else, help break down the animal, pack it out, that kind of stuff. Um, but, you know, I, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's just my mentality, but like, I'm always, I'm thinking that, you know, the guide would be like, hey, this is what we're going to do. And here's why we're going to do it. Um, so you saying that kind of, makes a lot of sense and i'll definitely be willing to you know kind of ask some questions and say you know hey what's you know is there is there a reason why we're approaching it this way or why are we glassing from here versus you know oh that other ridge right that kind of thing so Mm -hmm. um no i totally get it and there i'm sure that you get this there can be a wrong time to ask questions like (laughs) sometimes the the best time to ask the question is afterwards not before during right like hey not why are we doing this, but maybe we did a, a thing. We we glassed a certain place this morning. We we whatever, and it's after the fact when things mm-hmm. you know are not quote unquote in the moment that you can be like, hey, like, do you mind sharing like why we did this or why we moved or why you know whatever? And again, that obviously can be taken to extreme where you're just pestering the guy. I don't <laughs> think you would do that, but I would right. just say I would have 
what I've perceived of your attitude and what you went out of this hunt, I think there would be a good chance that you like you can go kill an animal, but not get all of the learning and the experience and the information you wanted out of it mm-hmm. unless you're proactive about making sure that you get it, like making sure that the guide can sense that you want that. Sure. Uh, I guess that's that's where I'm at. Like you could go have a great hunt and kill an animal, but maybe not get all the information or experience or as much hands-on like breaking down or as much hands-on packing out. That's probably not going to happen unless you're proactive about letting the guide know that that's what you want. Cool. Yeah, no, I'll definitely be proactive then. That's uh, that's a good piece of advice. Thanks. Cool, man. Well, we could we could chat for hours more, I'm sure, but this is uh this is only part one, so I'm super excited to hear how this goes to talk with you this fall and uh yeah man hear all about not just what you did learn and experience but just some of the stories the fun parts the highs the lows and and all that they get to share with your dad and uncles and everything it's gonna be great i appreciate it mark and i look forward to uh talking to you where i'm hopefully successful well best of luck to you zach and listeners thank you for tuning in uh, let us know how your season goes. Even if we haven't uh, recorded a podcast by any means, it'd be great to hear from you, to have you send over some photos, share some success, or even just lessons learned to us by email. So reach out and do that if you have something to share, or if you have any questions for us, let us know as well. Again, the email address is podcast at exomongear.com. If you're enjoying the show, it would help us tremendously if you could share it with a friend or leave a rating or review in whatever podcast app that you're using. Best of luck to you guys this season on your adventures. Enjoy every second of the opportunity, and we'll talk to you soon.